Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. I'm Joy Dooling, and you are listening to the Joy of Membership podcast. This podcast is for membership leaders. So we talk about strategies for attracting, engaging, and retaining members. But that's not entirely the focus of the show, because let's be honest here, there is no shortage of advice out there on best practices in membership. What we need to talk about is how to actually make those things possible in the real world, how to be absolutely sure that growth practices are going to stick, how to make those things easier, more consistent, and even automatic in some cases. Sound good? Then stick around because we're about to jump into it. Hey there, Joy here, host of the Joy of Membership podcast. Welcome to this week's episode. Before we jump in, I wanted to make sure that you know that I do a free live training most Thursdays at noon central. It's called the Care Points Difference. In this training, I share what care points are, why they matter, and how to construct them so that what you're doing becomes more naturally attractive to those you serve. And equally important, there are ways to set up those care points so that your membership becomes easier to run, which is critically important if you're running your organization with a lean team or with mostly volunteers. Providing a great member experience can seem like this thing that just automatically happens because you're of course committed to doing the right things for your members, but people get busy, balls get dropped, committee chairs change, and sometimes the right things simply don't get done. Intentionally designing care points changes that, and the effect is magical. Your members will feel the difference, and you'll love the result. Faster joins, more enthusiastic engagement, and renewals that happen without hesitation. If you'd like to join me for the next training, you'll find the details and a sign-up form at joyofmembership.com slash carepoints. I'd love to see you there. And now, with no further ado, let's get on with this week's show. so pleased this week to be able to share some time with my colleague and friend, Mary Byers, talking about a topic that I know is of special significance to all of you as membership leaders. Mary specializes in working with volunteer association leaders and chief staff executives to help them define their roles and clarify their vision. And she does that through leadership conference programming, facilitating retreats, and also coaching. She is a certified association executive and a member of the National Speakers Association. She has also authored seven books, including two that may very well already be on your bookshelf. And if they aren't, you should definitely look them up. Those are Race for Relevance, Five Radical Changes for Associations, and Road to Relevance, Five Strategies for Competitive Associations. Mary is such a terrific resource for her clients, and I just know you're going to enjoy listening in on this conversation today. Hey, Mary, welcome to the program. I'm so glad you could join me today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. So, 
I know you and I have had conversations before and people may have listened to some of those, but for those who are new to you, can you share who you are and who you help? I work with associations to help them remain relevant in a rapidly changing environment. I'm the author of Race for Relevance, Five Radical Changes for Association, and the follow-up book, Road to Relevance, Five Strategies for Competitive Associations. And I'm so excited that this year we are bringing out a special 10th anniversary edition of Race for Relevance. I was excited to hear that too. And I was shocked that it's been 10 years. It does not seem like it's been that long. (laughs) It did not seem like it had been 10 years for me either. And we were grateful that the manuscript really stood the test of time, but also to have the opportunity to include updated statistics, research, and also to provide some new case studies about the exciting things that associations are doing today to stay relevant. So did you start writing the anniversary edition before the pandemic started or were you writing it during? We actually agreed with the publisher to write it before the pandemic. But once the pandemic started, we realized that there was actually an increased sense of urgency because associations had been hit so hard. And we double down really and made sure that what we're recommending is relevant in a post-pandemic world. And, you know, that was another added benefit, I guess, of being able to write it is that we could write it in context of what's really happening today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I imagine that would be super helpful, relevant for the times. (laughs) Yes, unfortunately or fortunately, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Of all the things that an association consultant could focus on, why relevance? If you aren't relevant, you really don't have a sustainable future because people only spend their time, energy, money, and short attention spans with things that are relevant to their lives or will help them be better or do better or be more successful. So if you're not asking, are we still relevant? That's a slow slide into irrelevance in many cases. And so I think, you know, we were lucky to capture that word because I think that one word has been so meaningful, both to association staffers, but also to the volunteer leaders who are on their boards. Are there certain themes that come up around um, relevance challenges? The first one I would say is that complacency kills. If you are doing things the same way, and in some cases doing the same things that you were five years ago, that should be a red flag. Association should continuously be evolving and they should be focused on innovation. And this is really what's going to help associations thrive coming out of the pandemic. It's not business as usual. It needs to be business as unusual. The benefit in the pandemic, believe it or not, there was a gift and a silver lining. And that is we all were forced to innovate and change. And we have grown and strengthened our resilience muscles. So part of our message to association leaders is don't stop. I know some would like to go back to the way things were, but we're really encouraging a go forward strategy. And one of those questions should be, How are we going to capitalize 
on what we learned about innovation and what we've learned about ourselves and our ability to innovate on the fly. It's not comfortable, not fun when you're doing it because you have to, but what aspects of that can you take and make part of your culture going forward? That's where there's going to be a gift for the association environment. Well, I definitely share your perspective on that because what I saw from my association clients was so many of them had been talking about making changes. And it was one of those things, we'll do that in the future. We're thinking about it. You know, our committees are still meeting. And then all of a sudden they just got a huge push forward from the universe to do it. And in retrospect, ended up being a good thing. I mean, who knows how long people would have sat around having conversations about doing things and they just didn't have the time in the pandemic to sit around talking about it anymore. They had to do it. Well, that is really, really reminiscent of what what just happened to me in a board meeting and that the past president said, we've been talking about this for a long time. The time to act is now. And this was especially around some of their innovation in regards to their meeting and their content management. I think a lot of associations can identify with what you saw. So Mary, are you able to give any examples of organizations that you saw make some changes based on, you know, their work around relevance? So there's a couple of uh, examples that I would point to. One large dental organization is actually in a digital transformation. And that's one of the new aspects of the book. We talked about technology the first time around, but this time we're doubling down on that and we're being even more specific in that it should be a digital first mindset going forward. Those organizations who had been in process or had already done it experienced less disruption than those who had not. So this large dental organization is in a multi-year transformation project and they are upending everything how you access their information, how you become a member, what kind of data they're uh, tracking and they're using internally. They no longer have to wait for data reports. They can have real-time reports that are coming out. And it's actually making it easier for their staff to serve members in a meaningful way. Another organization that I'm familiar with had done a top-down program and service evaluation a number of years ago for the sole purpose of purposely abandoning some of their underperforming programs. And this is very, very hard to do. They did it coming out of the recession of 2009. And they identified about a third of their portfolio that really needed to either be reworked or retired. And because they had done it in the past and they had seen how valuable that was when the pandemic hit, that became part of their work internally was, again, taking a look at what should stay and what should go. And many organizations had to do that when we knew we had limited resources or limited capacity, or we weren't able to do in person, which a lot of association offerings are, there was a forced purposeful abandonment. And for some, some of those programs may come back, but for many, if they come back, they're going to come back in a different way. Mm -hmm. And of course, we've all heard the word hybrid. 
and hybrid meetings. And we really have to ask, what does that mean going forward? Because it's not easy to serve two different audiences with two different needs, and it can be more expensive doing hybrid events going forward. So I think we really have to think that through. So I'm curious about the ways that organizations today are engaging with their members and trying to figure out what is relevant compared to what they might have been doing 10 years ago. Has it changed from your perspective? Some of the leading organizations that we're working with are focused on human-centered design. I think the way we used to do things is we would have an idea or our committees would have an idea and they would bring it for the to the board for approval and we would go build a program or a service and then hope there was a demand for it. It makes more sense to start with needs and then build programs and services. And then that way you're not wasting a lot of time. So I'm hearing more about human-centered design more about minimum viable projects or you know products and more also about soft pilots and launches and then recalibrating based on the feedback that we get other groups are using the jobs to be done format that was introduced by Clayton Christensen and again it is really starting with the need first and building programs and services around that rather than the opposite which is what associations used to do and that was build the meaning or the program service and then hope and pray that there was a need for it so if an organization wants to do more exploration around this topic where do you suggest that they start honestly it's as simple as googling clayton christensen jobs to be done or human-centered design. There are so many resources available, lots of great reading. Also, we did an innovation study in 2020. And if they go to associationinnovation.today, there is a report there. And one of the key aspects of that report, I believe, is a continuum of innovative organizations. And it starts with giving permission And it ends with making sure that you are budgeting uh, for innovation, that you have somebody in charge of innovation, that your board is in step with you, that you've had conversations internally about risk and how comfortable you are with risk. So there's a lot of good food for thought in that association innovation environmental scan as well. Well, I will make sure to get a link in the show notes so people can access that. When does your book actually come out? July 1st of 2021. So it's close and we're going to be doing all sorts of activities over the next six months. And anybody who's interested can uh, join me at marybuyers.com, sign up for the newsletter. And as we have events, many of which are free, that's an opportunity for them to be tapped into what's going on in the conversation. And are you taking pre-orders for the book now? We are actually taking pre-orders and I would love to share a link with that for you as well. Okay, I'll make sure I pass that along. I'm sure people will be interested in um, tapping into that. Okay, Mary, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time today and I look forward to reading the book. I appreciate it. Enjoy. Thank you for your leadership too. I continue to be inspired and encouraged by the work that you're doing. And you're one of the people that I follow uh, because you are a thought leader that I deeply appreciate who is truly leading on the cutting edge of what's going on. So thank you for your work as well. 
Oh, Mary, thank you so much. It's a mutual admiration society here. (laughs) We love that, don't we? Absolutely. Okay, take care. Joy here, back with a few thoughts on this week's episode. Dario Fo, a Nobel Prize winning playwright, director, and performer, once said, a theater, a literature, an artistic expression that does not speak for its own time has no relevance. I'm curious if you've paused lately to ask, what is it that members need from us right now in this exact moment in time? That question, my friend, drives right into the heart of being relevant. Of course, I didn't write the book on how to stay relevant. I'll leave that to this week's podcast guest, Mary Byers. Staying relevant is a theme, though, that requires a frequent revisit. This past year has certainly tested the ability of organizations to nimbly regroup and refocus in order to meet new needs or to meet old needs that had to be handled in an entirely new way. There is no question in my mind that the time that you, your team, and your board can spend assessing relevance and innovating to create relevance is worth every bit of effort that you put into it. I hope you agree. And that brings us to a wrap on this week's episode. If you enjoy the variety of perspectives that are shared on this post, it would mean so much to me for you to leave a brief review of the show on whatever platform you use. Your comments really do help others know that there's something valuable to be gained by listening in. I will be back in your ears again next week with another great interview. In the meantime, take care. Hey there, you made it all the way to the end. Bravo to you. I'm back in just one last time to remind you that there's a free one-page PDF available over at the website that shows you more than 20 ways that technology could be supporting your efforts to attract, engage, and retain more members. It's actually broken down into the stages of the member journey, so you'll know exactly where each piece fits. And everything that's on that one pager can actually be automatically done for you with software that costs less than $1,000 per year. So if you haven't already grabbed it, you can get your copy at joyofmembership.com slash tech, joyofmembership.com slash tech, T-E-C-H. Have a great week and I'll see you next time.